Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Wednesday, June 21st. In Revelation 1.8, Yeshua says of himself, I am the Alpha and Omega, the Aleph and Tav, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Did you know that if you read Genesis 1.1 in Hebrew, there is an Aleph Tav right smack dab in the middle of that verse? Truly, Yeshua, the Aleph Tav, is there in the beginning and the end. So, if you were reading your Bible in Hebrew, Whenever you come across Olive Tov, this is a direct reference to Yeshua. The acronym for Daily Audio Torah is D-A-T. In Hebrew, that is Dalit Olive Tov. When you unpack that in the ancient Hebrew picture language, what it means is this, Doorway to the Olive Tov. The Daily Audio Torah is your doorway to the Olive Tov, your doorway to Yeshua. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Korah. Numbers 16, 41-51 But the very next morning the whole community of Israel began muttering, and murmuring against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the Lord's people. As the community gathered to protest against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tabernacle and saw that the cloud had covered it, and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. Moses and Aaron came and stood in front of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, Get away from these people so that I can instantly destroy them. But Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. And Moses said to Aaron, Quick, take an incense burner and place burning coals on it from the altar. Lay incense on it and carry it out among the people to purify them and make them right with the Lord. The Lord's anger is blazing against them. The plague has already begun. Aaron did as Moses told him and ran out among the people. 
The plague had already begun to strike down the people, but Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. He stood between the dead and the living, and the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died in that plague, in addition to those who had died in the affair involving Korah. Then, because the plague had stopped, Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tabernacle. Second Kings 1, 1 to 2, 25. After King Ahab's death, the land of Moab rebelled against Israel. One day Israel's new king, Ahaziah, fell through the latticework of an upper room at his palace in Samaria and was seriously injured. So he sent messengers to the temple of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether he would recover. But the angel of the Lord told Elijah, who was from Tishbe, Go and confront the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, Is there no god in Israel? Why are you going to Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether the king will recover? Now, therefore, this is what the Lord says, You will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will surely die. So Elijah went to deliver the message. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, Why have you returned so soon? They replied, A man came up to us and told us to go back to the king and give him this message. This is what the Lord says, Is there no king in Israel? Why are you sending men to Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether you will be recovering? Therefore, Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will surely die. What sort of man was he? the king demanded. What did he look like? They replied he was a hairy man, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. Elijah from Tishbe, the king exclaimed. Then he sent an army captain with fifty soldiers to arrest him. They found him sitting on top of a hill. The captain said to him, Man of God, the king has commanded you to come down with us. But Elijah replied to the captain, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your fifty men. Then fire fell from heaven and killed them all. So the king sent another captain with fifty men. The captain said to him, Man of God, the king demands that you come down at once. Elijah replied, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your fifty men. And again, the fire of God fell from heaven and killed them all. Once more the king sent a third captain with fifty men. But this time the captain went up the hill and fell to his knees before Elijah. He pleaded with him, O man of God, please spare my life and the lives of these your fifty servants. See how the fire from heaven came down and destroyed the first two groups. But now, please spare my life. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him, and don't be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went with him to the king. 
And Elijah said to the king, This is what the Lord says, Why did you send messengers to Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether you will recover? Is there no god in Israel to answer your question? Therefore, because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will surely die. So Ahaziah died, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Since Ahaziah did not have a son to succeed him, his brother Joram became the next king. This took place in the second year of the reign of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The rest of the events in Ahaziah's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance, as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. 
Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided, and Elisha went across. When the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Sir, they said, just say the word and fifty of our strongest men will search the wilderness for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has left him on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha said, don't send them. But they kept urging him until they shamed him into agreeing, and he finally said, all right, send them. So fifty men searched for three days but did not find Elijah. Elisha was still at Jericho when they returned. Didn't I tell you not to go, he asked. One day the leaders of the town of Jericho visited Elisha. We have a problem, my lord, they told him. This town is located in pleasant surroundings, as you can see. But the water is bad, and the land is unproductive. Elisha said, Bring me a new bowl with salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring that supplied the town with water, and threw the salt into it. And he said, This is what the Lord says, I have purified this water. It will no longer cause death or infertility. And the water has remained pure ever since, just as Elisha said. Elisha left Jericho and went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, a group of boys from the town began mocking and making fun of him. Go away, Baldy, they chanted. Go away, Baldy. Elisha turned around and looked at them, and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled forty-two of them. From there Elisha went to Mount Carmel and finally returned to Samaria. Acts 13, 42-14-7 As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous, so they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews, but since you have rejected it, and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. 
and all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord, and the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lyconia, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe, and the surrounding area, and there they preached the good news. Psalm 139, 1-24 O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God! They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. 
O God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. O Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Proverbs 17, 19-21 Anyone who loves to quarrel loves sin. Anyone who trusts in high walls invites disaster. The crooked heart will not prosper. The lying tongue tumbles into trouble. It is painful to be the parent of a fool. There is no joy for the father of a rebel. I'd like to speak to you from 2 Kings chapters 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump into Acts 13 and 14. And in 2 Kings 1 and 2, we see that Elijah has been told from the Lord that he's going to be taken up. He's not going to die a natural death. Instead, he's just going to be taken up. And Elisha has been walking with him and closely following him. He's being mentored by Elijah. And so in verse 9, when they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Verse 10, You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. And so Elijah continues on his journey, and he goes from Bethel and then on down to Jericho and then on down to the Jordan River. And each time he begins another leg of his journey, he says to Elijah, I'm going to go to this next place and you don't have to come. And Elisha says, "Uh, we're not separating. I'm sticking to you. Nothing's going to separate us. And so then, as they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire, and it drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. And Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. And then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. So he picked up Elijah's mantle, his cloak. So the physical action of picking up the cloak was also a spiritual transference that he did get a double portion of Elijah's spirit upon him. So what is the principle here that we can apply to our lives? Here's the principle. 
there is tremendous value in having a mentor, especially a spiritual mentor. Now, we see this play out in lots of different ways. When a child is growing up, maybe a little boy, his father takes him out to the workshop and shows him and trains him on how to use the tools, how to use the drill and the saw and the hammer. And often you see father-son businesses because the father has mentored the son into the business. Or um, a mother and her daughter, and the mother begins to mentor her daughter into all kinds of things. How to take care of her appearance and how to make really great meals in the kitchen and all kinds of things. But a, a spiritual mentor is wonderful and something to be desired, something to to seek after. I was mentored by Eddie Chumney, and I worked closely with him for three and a half years and helped him to design a radio website, hebrootsradio.com, and also helped him to redesign his main website, hebroots.org, where many of his teachings are posted, and also helped him to design a discipleship website called hebrootsdiscipleship.com, where you can go through his teachings on a systematic basis, and there's quizzes along the way. And all of the teachings have been uh, put put out either as an audio teaching or as a remastered video teaching. So in working closely with him, I learned so much. I was basically mentored by the master. I, I would call him a teacher of teachers. And it was a tremendous blessing to work with him for those three and a half years. And so being mentored is something to be sought after, something to be pursued. Um, on a one-on-one basis is really good. It's not the same as just attending a service once a week and the message is a generic message to the masses. It's just not the same as a close relationship where you're really learning and growing. So if you can, seek after, pray that the Lord would bring a mentor into your life, someone who can walk with you and work with you closely and impart to you the wisdom and the knowledge and the anointing that they walk in. And now I want to go into Acts chapter 13 and 14. And we're going to start in Acts chapter 13, verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas are speaking to a crowd. And the crowd began to slander Paul and argued against whatever he said. So Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly in verse 46, and they declared, It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. Now they're in the synagogue saying this. But since you have rejected it, 
and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. This is pivotal. This is like a hinge of a door. And up to this point, Paul has done everything he can to bring the gospel, the good news, the message of salvation through Yeshua to the Jewish people. But they keep on rejecting him. And so now he's saying, okay, we're going to take this message to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, because you are rejecting it. So now I want to connect that to the message from Romans chapter 11. So for centuries, there's been a blindness on the minds and the hearts of the Jewish people, by and large, and there are notable exceptions, but all in all, the Jewish people have not recognized that Yeshua is the Messiah, that he came. And they have continued to practice Orthodox Judaism. But there's a time coming when that blindness will be lifted. And in Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says this. This is Paul speaking, and he says, I say then, has God cast away his people? And when he's saying his people, he's talking about the Jews. Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? So Paul is saying, no, God has not cast away the Jewish people. But yet for centuries, the mainstream church got into a deadly and a dangerous doctrine called replacement theology. And the and it's never normally, it's never spelled out in black and white outwardly. It's always subtle and it's always unspoken, but it's an assumption. And so this is what replacement theology is, that the covenants and the promises that God made with the Jewish people, the promise of the land, you know, for the descendants of Abraham, that the, the land would get, be given to his descendants, um, the promises of God's blessing upon them and the promise of salvation and all the covenants, the covenant that he made at Mount Sinai with them, that all of that, those covenants are no longer valid and that those covenants are now transferred over to the church. That God is finished. He is done with the Jewish people. That the we have the picture of the uh, olive tree in Romans 11. And that the natural branches, that is the Jewish people, have been broken off. And that those natural branches have been cast into a burn pile. And that the wild branches, that is the Gentiles, the non-Jews, particularly the Europeans, the Roman Catholic Church, and then the Protestant Church, that those branches, the wild branches, have been grafted in and that the natural branches have been cast into a burn pile to be burned up. And so this deadly and dangerous doctrine that somehow the Gentiles have replaced the Jews 
and that the Jews no longer have a place in the kingdom of God has led to horrible persecutions against the Jewish people over the centuries, including the Crusades, the pogroms, the Holocaust, and on and on it goes. And also replacement theology uh, basically is this. You take the Bible and you take cut it in half. And all of the Old Testament you pitch into the trash because none of that matters anymore. It's all been replaced. The Old Testament has been replaced by the New Testament. The law, the Torah, has been nailed to the cross and Yeshua replaces the Torah. No longer do we need to follow the law. We follow Yeshua. Nothing could be further from the truth. We are to follow all of the Bible by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We are to be obedient to all of it by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So that's what replacement theology is. So Paul is saying here, has God cast his people away? Certainly not. And continuing on further down, in Romans 11.11, Paul goes on to say, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, and again, he's talking about the Jews. If their fall, the Jews fall, the Jewish people, their fall is riches for the world, and their failure brings riches for the Gentiles. How much more their fullness? For I speak to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh, that is, the Jewish people, and save some of them. Now here's the punchline, verse 15. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be? but life from the dead. So what he's saying is the breaking off of the branches of the natural branches from the olive tree because the Jewish people for a season have rejected Yeshua as their Messiah, that this uh, somehow sparked an incredible outreach to the Gentiles. The Gentiles accepted him. They received him. But that there's a day coming when that blindness is going to be healed and the Jewish people are going to see Yeshua and all of a sudden they're going to get it. He is the Messiah. He is our Mashiach. And that will be life from the dead. There's a pause. It's a spiritual pause where they don't see it. And then they're going to see it. And they're going to receive Yeshua as Messiah. And it will be life from the dead. Verse 26 of Romans 11. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer 
will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So I just wanted to expand upon that, that there has been a chapter in the story of the gospel going out that began with Paul, where because the Jewish people way, way, way back then did not accept or receive the message that Yeshua was the Messiah, he said, okay, I'm going to turn from you now, and I'm going to take this message to the Gentiles. And for centuries, that salvation message, the, the, the message of Yeshua bringing salvation, has gone around the world to all the nations, to Europe, to Africa, to North America, all the way around to China. And now I believe we're coming to the close of the Gentile era and that now the message is being being brought literally around the world, right back to Israel, right back to Jerusalem, to the Jewish people. And there is a new openness in the hearts of the Jewish people to hear this message and to receive the truth that Yeshua is the Messiah. And there are Messianic believers who are Jewish, who live in the land, and who are sharing that message, one Jew to another Jew, the message that Yeshua is the Messiah. So when that happens, I believe that will really usher in the return of Yeshua, when more and more of the Jewish people wake up to this truth and receive him as their Messiah. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. Yevrekka Adonai Vish Merekka Yeah Adonai Vikuneka Isa Adonai Anav Ileka Vayaseh Leka Leka Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24-26 Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>